Good morning. Let's pray before we study God's Word together. Father God, I just want to thank you that we can be here this day, Lord, just to celebrate uh, your faithfulness, Lord, and your goodness to us, Lord. And we thank you that you, you work through us, Lord, in mighty ways. And I just thank you that we've been able to celebrate uh, this morning how Andrew and Alison, Lord, have been used by you in mighty ways in this church. And I just thank you for these things. And Father, I just pray that you would just be with us now as we study your word together, Lord. Help us to put everything else the side of our minds and hearts that we might focus upon you. And that you would speak to us by your spirit that we might be more like Jesus in all things. I just pray for this in his name. Amen. So it's great to be back here at Calvary with you guys this morning. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, my name's Ben, and I came to this church for many, many years. Uh, I got saved here in 2003, and I later ended up uh, training for ministry under Andrew here, and was assistant pastor here for a few uh, years until I left in 2020 to be a pastor of a small church in uh, West Yorkshire in Hebden Bridge. And I moved about two weeks before the first lockdown in 2020, so that was a really fun time to move. And uh, the church in Hebden sends you all greetings this morning, so there you go. So it's a real privilege to be asked to, to speak here this morning at Andrew and Alison's uh, sort of Thanksgiving slash leaving service today. And it's a bittersweet thing as well, isn't it? Because Andrew and Alison are going to be leaving Calvary, but it's also great to celebrate their time here and be thankful for the way that they've faithfully served God and the church here for many years and how God's worked through them. And I know they don't like fuss, so hopefully I won't embarrass them too much, but uh, it'll be good just to thank them today, won't it? So I thought the way for us to do this today was to look at some of uh, the Apostle Paul's final instructions uh, to Timothy about Christian ministry. Now, like many people today, people in the ancient world began their jobs as apprentices, training and working alongside someone who'd had the experience of doing that job for a long time. So say carpenters, stonemasons, jewelers, things like that, they all worked alongside somebody and would be trained that way. And the early church also trained people up for ministry in that way. You think about that the disciples followed Jesus for three and a half years, watching and learning from him, so that after Jesus' death and his resurrection, they were ready to do what God wanted them to do and share the good news of Jesus with other people. And the Apostle Paul also trained people up for ministry in this way by bringing them along on his missionary journeys with him so that they could watch and learn from him as he traveled around the Roman Empire telling people about Jesus and what he'd done for them. And Timothy was one of the people that Paul had taken on his missionary journeys with him and trained him up for the ministry. They'd become good friends and Paul could trust and rely on Timothy. So I'd like to see myself as a bit of a Timothy this morning and uh, Andrew was a, a bit of a Paul. So there you go. And when Paul was arrested and waiting to be executed for his faith in Jesus during the Roman Emperor Nero's persecution of Christians in 67 AD, Paul wrote to Timothy and gave him some final instructions for the ministry and asking Timothy to visit them before he was killed. And in Paul's instructions to Timothy, you see what faithful ministry looks like. And hopefully you'll see how Andrew and Alison have done these things and they've faithfully served God and been used by God in ministry here over many years. And we'll see how Paul's inst instructions still apply to you if you're a Christian here today as well. So let's have a read of our passage. We're going to look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And I'm reading from New King James, so it might be slightly different from what you've got. So it says this. Paul says this. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convinced rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So I'd like us to look at two points this morning, the final instructions for ministry in verses 1 to 5, and finishing well in verses 6 to 8. So let's have a look at our first point this morning, final instructions for ministry in verses 1 to 5. So after giving various instructions and encouragements in the letter uh, that Timothy Paul gives, Timothy some final instructions for being faithful in ministry to God and to his people. Now these aren't you know, Paul's final words to Timothy in the letter, but they are his final words about ministry in that letter. And it's the thing that Paul wanted Timothy to remember, and they show what's the most important things in ministry. Now at the end of uh, chapter 3 of the letter we've read, Paul reminded Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or God breathed, depending on your translation, meaning that God had told the human authors of the Bible exactly what he wanted them to write by his Holy Spirit, so that the Bible is God's word, his message to human beings, telling us who God is, how we can know him, what is right and wrong, and how we can have eternal life with him. So we'll see in verses 1 and 2 of our passage today that Paul charges Timothy before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and his appearing, you know, when he returns to this world to set up his kingdom, to preach the word, and to teach what the Bible says. You see that Paul is telling Timothy to preach the Bible is the most important task of the Christian minister. And you see how serious this is by the fact, you know, Paul's calling God the Father and Jesus to be witnesses when he commands Timothy to do this, to preach the word. But why is preaching the word so, uh, you know, the most important task for a Christian minister. And this is the case for two reasons. First, it's through preaching God's word that people hear the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. You know, that Jesus God himself, God the Son, who in his love came down from heaven and was incarnate as a human being to save people from their sin and its consequences, death and hell, and to give them eternal life. You know, through his death as a sacrifice for sin and through his resurrection. And people need to hear this message in order to believe it. That they might turn from the sin, that they might trust in Jesus and be saved and receive God's gift of eternal life. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He says, so then, faith in Jesus comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But people can't trust and believe in Jesus if they've never heard about them, about him, can they? And what he's done for them. And Paul says this in, a little bit earlier in Romans 10. In verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, it's been the local elections recently. And would you vote for a person or a party that you'd never heard of? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't do that because, you know, you don't know if you can trust them. You don't know what they stand for. You don't know any of these things. And so it's the same with Jesus. You know, if people haven't heard about them, or know anything about him, what he's done, they're not going to trust in the mother. Now, many people in our country might think they know about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, but they don't. 
because they've been told lies about them or they've made up their own ideas, you know, thinking that Jesus never existed, despite the fact there's a lot of evidence to prove the contrary uh, in history, or that he's just a good teacher or a prophet. And this is the first reason why preaching the Bible is so important and the most important task of the Christian minister, so that the truth about Jesus and who he is and what he's done is proclaimed so that people can hear this message and be saved through believing in Jesus. Now, the second reason why preaching the Word is the most important task in the ministry is because, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible is the place where God has told me and you about himself. And it's through you know, knowing and understanding the Bible that Christians mature and grow in their faith and relationship with God as they get to know God better through reading the Word. And Peter speaks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Just as babies need milk to grow physically, so Christians need God's word to grow spiritually. Now, just before the passage that we read today, at the end of chapter 3 in verses 16 and 17, Paul says that it's through knowing the scriptures that a believer is complete or mature in their faith and thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has called them to do. And as Christians, you know, you can say those as Christians mature in the faith, you can see those that God has gifted for leadership and that should be trained up to lead the church, as Paul t- told Timothy a little bit earlier in this letter as well, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, where he says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this is the second reason why it's so important for the Christian minister to preach the Bible, to help Christians understand God's word and how it applies to their lives so that they might grow and mature in their faith. And one way to do is that what we're doing now when we listen to the word being preached, but also through Bible studies or meeting up one-to-one and talking about the word, all these different things, you know, God uses. But it's for these two reasons, because people are saved through hearing and believing the gospel, and because believers grow through understanding the Bible, that's why it's so important that God's word is preached, and that's why it's the most important thing for the Christian minister to do. And this is why Paul charges Timothy to preach the word. And we'll see in verse 2, it's because preaching the Bible is so important that that Paul tells Timothy to be ready to preach God's word in season and out of season. No, when it's popular and when it's not popular. And when it says things that society around us says isn't popular as well. And we'll see this had happened to Paul during his ministry. You know, in Acts, when Paul was, you know, took the gospel, the good news of Jesus around the Roman Empire, when he first arrived in a city... You know, he preached the gospel, people listened to it, a lot of people were saved. But after that, you know, the, the, you know, the gospel was sort of popular at that point. But after a little while, it wasn't long until opposition and hostility sort of to that message came in, and it became unpopular. But just because the gospel message was unpopular, it didn't mean that Paul was to stop preaching it. He was to keep preaching God's word, both when it was popular and when it wasn't. Again, so the people would be saved through it and grow through it. And all Christian ministers are to do the same, to preach the word when it's popular and when it's not, and to tell the truth of what it says. And we say in verse 2 that Paul commands Timothy to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. The Christian ministers should use God's word to convince or correct those who have gone into false teaching and point them back to the truth. To rebuke or warn those who are sinning that what they're doing isn't right. And to exhort or encourage Christians to live for Jesus. And Timothy was to do these things with all long suffering and patience because teaching, you know, 
teaching and spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And therefore, all ministers need to be patient. And we say in verse 3 and 4, Paul gives Timothy another reason why it's so important that he preaches God's word. Because the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, because they want to hear the things that they want to hear to make themselves feel good, they heap up for themselves false teachers. And people will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, to lies. They'll stop listening to the truth and they'll start listening to lies. And since God's word is the truth, it means that they stop listening to God's word, or at least the true meaning of it, by twisting what it says into something that they want to hear. And we don't have to look far to see this going on uh, around us today. So we we'll see in verse 5 that Paul tells Timothy to be watchful in all things, to endure afflictions, to do the work of an evangelist, and through these things he'll fulfill his ministry. Paul shows you know, that a minister is to watch his own doctrine and life to make sure that he's not going into error or to live, living in a way that isn't pleasing to God. But he's also to watch over the flock that God has made him pastor over to protect the believers from threats and from false teaching. That a minister is to endure afflictions and hardships for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Now this could mean suffering persecution from non-Christians like some ministers in some places of the world do. Or it could mean, you know, have to put up with unjust criticism from Christians but letting things go. And Paul speaks of the minister doing the work of an evangelist. Now, this doesn't mean that he is an evangelist or God's gift him in that way, but that he should lead and encourage the church in reaching out with the gospel. And Paul says that by doing all these things, Timothy would fulfill his ministry. So you see in these verses, in Paul's final instruction to Timothy about Christian ministry, you see what the most important things are for a pastor to do. That they had to preach and teach God's word, to correct false teaching, to challenge those believers in sin, to encourage believers to live for God, that they'd be watchful of themselves and of the church, that they encourage Christians to share their faith with other people. And a pastor is to do all these things with patience and enduring afflictions, the hardships for Jesus. And this is what faithful ministry looks like. And you say that in 2001, Andrew and Alison moved to Silksworth with Mark and Glenn, the sons, and Andrew felt called by God to be the pastor of the church here at Calvary. And just to make you feel old, I was still in my last year of school in 2001. <laughs> but over the last 21 years, you've seen what faithful ministry looks like here at Calvary as Andrew and Alison have served the Lord and served the church here, and God's used them. And we say, how oh, Andrew has fulfilled these commands that Paul instructs Timothy to do. You know, Andrew has faithful, uh, faithfully pre preached and taught God's word week after week for the last 21 years, often preaching twice on a Sunday in the morning and the evening services. And I've got no idea how Andrew manages to do this because it takes me long enough to do one message. <laughs> but he's faithfully preached the true gospel, you know, teaching through many books of the Bible as well, explaining what God says in his word and how these things apply to our lives today. And even though some of these things aren't popular in our culture, Andrew still taught them. And sometimes other ministers shy away from teaching these things because they're frightened of offending people. No one teaching things like that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven and have eternal life. You know, in talking about sin, the things that we say, that we do, and that we think that God says is wrong, and talking about the consequences of sin, if we don't allow Jesus to deal with it, that we'll be judged and sent to hell for it. And teaching what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality, or that God created the world in six literal days. You know, not trying to 
you know, compromise with evolution. Andrew's taught all these things over the years. So me and you should be thankful that Andrew's preached the word to us here, both in season and out of season, and explained what the Bible really teaches. Because as Paul warned today, there are many false teachers who claim to be Christian ministers who tell people what they want to hear and who twist God's word from what it actually says. And I saw this a few weeks ago when a pastor from a church near Hebden who claimed to be a minister twisted Jesus' words in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was saying that Jesus didn't really mean that he was the only way to get to heaven, but he just brought the news, the Jews a new way to relate to God, and there were many paths to God and to eternal life. And that's an absolute lie and a denial of one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith, because Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, and Andrew's faithfully preached that for many, many years. And it's through, you know, God, through Andrew and his faithful preaching of the word, you know, that, that many people have heard the gospel and placed their faith in Jesus. And I'm sure that's true for many of the younger people here today. And people have grown and matured in their faith through those things. And, you know, those who have shown leadership gifts, Andrew's trained up to lead just as Paul told Timothy to do so. You know, me and the guys who've become elders in recent years, you know, Andrew's trained us all and spent time with us in these things. Andrew's corrected false teaching. I remember him warning the church when some sort of popular so-called Christian books like The Shack and Love Wins, which actually contain, you know, serious false teaching, you know, he, he warned us about these things and why these were dangerous. I remember him doing those things. He's also challenged those in sin to get back, back right with God. And week after week, he's encouraged people to live for God through preaching and through visiting people during the week. Andrew's been watchful over himself, and he's been watchful over the flock. You know, he's been praying for people, getting in touch with those and visiting those who haven't been at church for a while, as well as visiting those who are sick, who are going through rough times, or need spiritual advice. And sometimes he's done this at crazy hours during the day, and I know he's had sleepless nights over these things as well. You know, he's led and he's encouraged the church here in Silksworth to reach out with the gospel. And it's hard to do that here because it's not a, a, you know, a sort of center place where we can all meet together to do that, to, to reach people. But he's done this through various ways, you know, through, through encouraging the church to have the Sunday afternoon family services, you know, which invited the children and the families from the youth groups to come along to the church so they could hear the gospel and sending leaflets out around the village to invite people to the events that the church has had on over the years and to be witnesses to our, fa our family and friends as well. And Andrew's done all this while being patient and suffering hardships for Jesus' sake. You know, dealing with issues that might not necessarily have been his fault, biting his tongue when he might have wanted to say something, but knowing that would only make things worse. Now, I know these things because I've only been ministry, in ministry for a short time, and I've had to do some of these things already. <laughs> now, I can remember at some point as a younger Christian, you know, wondering what, what must Andrew do with all his time? Because preparing a message for a Sunday can't take that long. And perhaps you thought that as well. But it wasn't until I started to train for the ministry and work alongside Andrew that I saw how much he actually did in terms of all these things behind the scenes. And actually studying you know, God's word to prepare a message takes time. And that all these different things are part of being a pastor. And it's not just about speaking on a Sunday morning and meeting up during the week for the odd free lunch, although that's a good bonus, and I do miss those things, Andrew. So... <laughs> But, you know, it's not just all about Andrew either because Alison has supported Andrew 
and also served the church in many of these ways behind the scenes as well. Because Alison's also been watchful over the flock and concerned for people, encouraging them to live for God and praying over them and visiting them with Andrew. And Alison said this morning about asking, you know, anyone wants prayer to ask them for that and we'll see that there. And again, sometimes, you know, they've done these things at crazy hours and they've both had sleepless nights. Alison's been there helping Andrew with things like the marriage preparation courses with the young couples and some of the not-so-young couples in the church now, you know, who've gotten married over the years. She's also been there in the studies that, you know, people do before they get baptised. And Alison's also served the church in terms of outreach. You know, she used to organise the Christmas fair for many years, and you know, that brought people into the church and, again, gave the opportunities to, to share with them. So you say that Andrew and Alison faithfully served the Lord and me and you here in this church during the 21 years they've been here at Calvary, and God has used them in mighty ways to bless us here as well. And for those of us who have been part of the church during these 21 years, we should be so thankful and grateful to the Lord for bringing them along and faithful to Andrew and Alison for their faithful ministry. We should give thanks to God for how he's used them to bless us during this time. Now, I know that earlier in the year, Andrew was doing a series of studies about what you should be looking for in your next pastor. And these things that Paul instructed Timothy to do, to preach God's word, to correct false teaching, to challenge those in sin, and encourage people to live for God, to be watchful over the church, and encourage people to share the gospel. These are the things you should be looking out for and praying about for the next, uh, as you look for your next pastor, you should be praying about these things. That person would include all these things. And if you are a Christian here today, you know, you might not be in ministry and you might not be preaching God's word, but you should be reading it and you should be holding to the truth that it teaches so that you're not deceived by the lies and the false teaching that's around the day. And you should also be looking to share the good news of Jesus with others. You know, you need to be watchful over your own life as well and make sure that you are living in a way that pleases God. But of course, to do this, you need to know what the Bible says in order to know how to live to please God. So if you're a Christian, you know, I challenge you to, to read the word and to do these things. And I guess if you're not a Christian here, I should do what a faithful minister does and share the gospel with you. As I said earlier, Jesus God himself, God the Son, and in his love for you, he left heaven and became a human being to save you from your sin, to save you from judgment and hell, and to give you eternal life with God through his death and resurrection as a sacrifice for sin. And when you trust in Jesus, God himself sends the Holy Spirit into your heart, giving you a more fulfilled life now, giving you a sense of God's presence and his love and his peace and his happiness and contentment. You know, things that the, that the world can't give and that money can't buy, but that God freely gives to those who follow Jesus. But you need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus to receive God's free gift of eternal life and to experience these things. And will you do that today if you haven't already? And this brings us to our second point this morning, finishing well in verses uh, 6 to 8. So after giving Timothy final instructions for the ministry, in these verses Paul speaks about how his own life and ministry is shortly about to come to an end, but how he's finished his ministry well. So Paul says in verse 6 that he's already been poured out like a drink offering, and the time of his departure, his death, was at hand. Now, drink offerings of wine were made as part of the burnt offering, one of the Old Testament sacrifices that God had commanded the Israelites to make. You say that in Numbers 15. And the drink offering would be poured on at the altar as the animal was sacrificed. And Paul is using this as a picture that since he came to faith in Jesus, his life had been poured out 
in service to Jesus, the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. But now Paul's life and his ministry were about to come to an end because he knew he was about to be executed for his faith. And knowing this was shortly going to happen, Paul in verse 7 says that he'd fought the good fight, that he'd finished the race, that he'd kept the faith. And Paul often uses both these pictures of warfare and of a race to speak of the Christian life and also of Christian ministry. So we see Paul do this when he uh, do this by speaking about warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10 to 18, when he speaks about putting on the full armor of God. You know, because there were um, in a spiritual battle with the devil and his demonic forces. Because the devil, you know, will do all that he can to oppose the spread of the gospel and to stop Christians from enjoying their relationship with God and to try to get them to backslide, to stop living and following God as he says they should. And we say in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, Paul uses the picture of a race at the Olympics to speak of the Christian life. Now, to win a gold medal in the 100-meter sprint at the Olympics, it's not easy, is it? You can't just be a couch potato and wake up one morning and think, I'm just going to try that and I'll win, win that medal. No, you need to be disciplined, you need to give up your time, and you need to train to do these things, to do that. And the Christian life isn't easy, isn't easy either. It's hard at times. And following Jesus, you know, might mean giving up some things to follow him. It might mean giving up your time to spend it with him. It might mean being mocked or hated by other people. But like an athlete training for a race, you know, Christians need to be disciplined as they follow Jesus. They need to keep their eyes on the prize, which isn't a medal, a medal but the eternal life that Jesus gives. Now, earlier in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul had also used both warfare and the race as a picture of ministry to Timothy. And we we'll see this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 to 5, where Paul says this to Timothy. He says, you mu- that you, must, uh, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So you see there, Paul's using warfare and the race Again, as pictures of ministry. And we'll see in verse 7, as Paul, you know, the end of his life draws near, that he's finished his life in ministry well, that he'd fought the good fight, and he'd won, he hadn't backstood, and he hadn't turned away. And he, you know, the race, he'd finished the race, and he was about to receive the prize of eternal life. And he kept the faith. Now, in keeping the faith, Paul would mean two things. First, that he'd, despite the spiritual warfare and the difficulties of the Christian life that he faced, now, that could have made him turn away from his faith or backslide, you know, like being beaten or imprisoned for sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, Paul had still kept strong in those times. He'd kept his faith in Jesus and finished the task that God had given him to do. And second, that Paul had kept the true message of the faith, that he hadn't changed the gospel or taught his own ideas, but he proclaimed the true gospel of Jesus and the teaching that God had given him. And both these things were true. Paul had kept his faith in Jesus and he kept the true message of the faith as well. And finally, in verse 8, Paul says that there is laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, that's Jesus, will give to him on that day, the day when Jesus will come to judge the world. On that day, Jesus is going to judge those who haven't trusted him in him for the sins, but he's also going to judge those who have trusted him and had the sins forgiven for how they've lived in response to the gospel and how they've lived for God, and to give them a reward for this. And we we'll say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, verses 11 to 15, where Paul says this. He says, For no other foundation 
Can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. So you say that you save through faith alone in Jesus, and your own efforts or good works can't help you at all. You know, it's only faith alone in Jesus, and that's the foundation that Paul is talking about there. And once you've placed your faith in Jesus, you can't lose your salvation, as you also say in that passage in Corinthians. However, you also say the Christians are rewarded for the good works once they become a believer, for how you've lived in response to the gospel, for how you've lived and been faithful. Uh, in the task or the role that God has given you to do. So Paul said not only was he about to finish the race, this life and receive the prize of eternal life because he trusted in Jesus, but because he'd been faithful in the task that God had given him to do in sharing the gospel, Paul was going to receive a reward as well, the crown of righteousness. Now the winner of a race today, you know, is given the gold medal, but in Paul's day they were crowned with a laurel wreath, and that was the reward. Now, in a, mar- a modern marathon like the Great North Run or the, the London Marathon, you know, all those who finish the race get the medal, but only those who run the race well and finish first win the gold medal, don't they? And so it is in the Christian life. You know, those who are true Christians who have been born again will receive the prize of eternal life when they finish the race of this life. But only those who have ran well and lived faithfully for God as a Christian will receive reward. Now, this is just an illustration to help you understand, you know, the Christian life isn't a competition. You know, you should all be encouraging each other to live for Jesus. So don't go home and make a wall chart, you know, of everyone in the church and put little stars on it for every time they turn up to church or they share the faith with somebody or something like that to try and prove that you're better on it to get more stars than them. Don't do that. That's not what it's about, you know. But we see in verse 8, Paul says, you know, that not only he's going to receive this crown, but all those who've loved Jesus appearing will receive it as well. And we say, you know, that all those who've lived faithfully for God, for God and done the work that God wants them to do in this world as they wait for Jesus to return, whether that's paid ministry, whether it's helping out in the youth groups, whether it's praying for people, whatever it might be, will also be rewarded by God as well. But you say the point that Paul's making in these verses is that his life and ministry are coming to an end and that he's finished his ministry well. And if you're a Christian here, you know, you should want to finish your ministry and your life well too again god might not have called you to be a pastor but he has called you to do something whether that's teaching in junior church whether that's encouraging other christians whether it's praying for people whether it's cleaning the church whatever it is god has given you a task to do and maybe he's calling to do something new today you know listen to him if that's the case but the christian life you know can be hard because we are in a spiritual battle and we do have an enemy that doesn't want us to enjoy our relationship with god and who wants us to backslide and you know, to stop us from doing what God's called us to. And we need to realize this. And again, like athletes, you know, that we thought about earlier, we need to be disciplined and, and live for God, keeping our eyes fixed on the eternal life that Jesus has given us, knowing that whatever difficulties you face in this life because of him, you know, as you live, and, you live for God and serve him, it's all going to be worth it in that day when you receive that gift. And you should be living faithful for God and doing the task that he's given you, not because you want a reward, that's the wrong motive, but rather you should be living for God in response to what Jesus has done for you. Now, I know that Andrew and Alison are not about to die, or I hope that's the case anyway, 
But their ministry here at Calvary has come to an end, and they've finished the ministry here well. I think we would all agree. You know, they're not leaving the church because there's been a split or there's been a problem in the church, but rather they're leaving because they feel like God's told them it's the right time to do so. You know, they've finished their ministry here at Calvary well. You know, and God has worked through them and God's blessed their ministry here. You know, he's caused the church to grow from when they first came in 2001. And they're leaving the church here in a healthy state. You know, with the new guys who've been appointed as elders in the last couple of years, with the new church constitution and the church looking for a new pastor, but also being prepared if that process might take a bit of time. With Calvary now being part of the Northeast Gospel Partnership and the FIEC, which both can provide, you know, sort of wider support and help for the church and perhaps more protection for the church, depending on what comes in the future with the things that's going on in our country. And again, we should be thankful for how God has worked through Andrew and Allison and used them to bless Calvary. And as they leave the church here in such a strong and good place, to finish the ministry here well. So Andrew, Allison, I just want to thank you both on behalf of the church here for your faithfulness in serving the Lord and all of us here in the 21 years that you've been here. And I'm sure I speak for everybody here when I said that you're both loved and that you'll both be missed. And I know you'll be back to see Mark and Laura and the grandkids at times, but you'll be missed as a regular part of the fellowship here at Calvary. And I'm sure the church here will be praying for you guys as I'll be as you move down, back down to Ipswich and get settled down there. As you look for a new fellowship, as you get settled into your new jobs, Alison working for the charity and Andrew working as a lab technician. I hope you send some photos in your coat. That would be it. <laughs> But even if you are a lab technician, Andrew, you know, you'll still always be my pastor. And I've got your phone number, so you're not going to get away that easy. So. <laughs> but I pray that the Lord you know, will bless you guys and that you'll enjoy being ministered to for a change. So again, I just want to thank you know, the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord for you both and everything that he's done through you here at Calvary. And I give thanks for the fact that you've finished your ministry well. We've all been blessed through you, uh, by you and through you. We're thankful for you and we'll miss you but we'll be praying for you as you start this new chapter of your lives. So let's do that now. Let's pray as we conclude our time together this morning. Father God, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, that you just show us um, just every day, Lord, and the many blessings that you give us, Lord, just in simple things like food and clothes and shelter, but the spiritual blessings you also pour upon us as well, Lord, the fact that you've provided uh, your word for us, Lord, and Lord, that you sent your son to die for us and just to make us right with you. I thank you for all these things. And I thank you that in your word, Lord, you show us what is important in ministry and what faithful ministry looks like. And Lord, I just um, thank you for Andrew and Alison and their faithful ministry in serving the church here over many years. Lord, I thank you, thank you for how you've worked through them and how you've used them to bless each of us and to just uh, share your word with people here, Lord, so that people will be strong in their faith and know you better. Lord, I just pray for their future as they move down to Ipswich, Lord. I just pray that um, you'd help them to settle into the new house, Lord, into the new jobs, that they would find the fellowship where they feel comfortable, Lord, and that they would have uh, just time to be ministered to, Lord, but that you would also continue to use them down there in mighty ways. Lord, I just thank you for these things. But I also pray for the church here, Lord, that you bring the right man to lead the church. Lord, that you would just uh, bring the right person at the right time. Help the church, Lord, just to be patient in this uh, process. And I just pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would want to live for you, Lord, in the right way, not because we want a reward, Lord, but because it's the right thing to do in response to what Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, I do just pray that you would lead each of us 
and help us to walk closely with you. And I just thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.